For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Borussia Dortmund have won the European Cup Winners' Cup. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds, our European champions. Hello again from Believe in Borussia. Hello, you black and yellow faithfuls and you soccer enthusiasts out there. Welcome to Believe in Borussia, the Borussia Dortmund podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, our episode number three on its way right now for you from Brooklyn, New York. And if you missed our first two episodes, just go to our website or follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, on our Twitter account, Instagram, Believe in Borussia, that's B-L-E-A-V in Borussia, that's the handle. Follow us there, like us there, leave us a review so you can catch up and won't miss a single episode in the future. Huge game today and we had a big game behind us, which unfortunately did not go our way. We'll also use the Easter weekend to take a look back at one of the bravest Borussen who paid the ultimate price during one of Germany's darkest times, what his life signified, what he meant to the club and how he is remembered today. So let's get the stinker out of the way first. It was not a good game on Saturday and it was a terrible result. I think the effort was okay, but the decision making with the ball was terrible. I mean, Frankfurt offered a lot of gaps which we couldn't capitalize on and going behind on an own goal didn't help. I guess it fits the picture that Nico Schulz was the culprit and he's just been very unlucky in a stand with Borussia Dortmund so far and it doesn't seem he can catch a break. I think he actually played Kostic pretty well on that possession. He really meant up, but he lost sight of the ball and you just can't do that. And I think you also have to look at Emre Can in that situation. He had some bright moments in the game and really showed some of that playground skill that he just has, which is amazing at that size. But he could have put a little more pressure on the cross. Mats Hummels put in a timely equalizer just before the half. But whoever expected a revitalized and more focused Borussia, well, you were set up for a disappointment. To get Dortmund over the hump and into the Champions League, Terzic brought anyone on that he could in terms of offensive firepower, but to no avail. Frankfurt struck late on the counter and the result stood. Seven points clear now of Borussia Dortmund. And there's only seven games to go. And apart from the result, the two things that annoyed me were the Marco Eus reaction when he was subbed out and Mo Dahoud's play when he was subbed on. If you ever wonder why Dahoud doesn't regularly play, despite all his skills and his obvious potential, just watch this game. Terzic is bringing him on for some creative impulses. It's 1-1, Jude Bellingham, he's spirited but a little listless, he's like fighting hard but he just can't seem to create these passes, exploit the gaps in the Frankfurt defense. So yeah, it makes sense to bring on somebody like the Hood who can play that pass, who can play that killer pass, some fresh legs also to counter Frankfurt's grindcore style and keep them moving. And instead of upping the intensity in this super crucial game, 
He's just going through the motion, jogging around. All of a sudden, we have gaping holes opening in our transition defense. And on offense, his two most memorable scenes was giving a ball away on a 5-on-3 counter and losing it just before the second goal. Now Royce, when he was subbed off, instead of sprinting off the pitch, you know, because there's little time left and we need to score at 1-1 and maybe encouraging his teammates and showing some positivity, throw your fits on your own time, captain. Like, we still had a game to play, and that didn't help zero. You wasted time, you oozed negativity, and no matter what the frustration level with the game, with being subbed or whatever, get your butt off the field and support your teammates. Now seven points behind Frankfurt and only seven games to go, next year's Champions League seems highly in doubt, and that is a big hit. And it's an even bigger hit if you look at the context. In the four months of COVID last year, Borussia Dortmund racked up a 40 million deficit. So I assume it's going to be in the neighborhood of 100 to 120 million range for the whole fiscal year of Dortmund. So losing this 30 plus million you can make in a Champions League, that hurts. And not playing with the best teams in Europe, it hurts because if you want to be one of the best, you got to play with the best. But as I explained last week, Borussia Dortmund has set up a 140 million dollar credit line and they only used 30 million so far. And President Reinhard Rauber already said the next two years are fully financed even without Champions League. So I guess the silver lining. So we are not in a state where you have to go, oh my God, this house of cards will come crashing down without Champions League. But nevertheless, missing the Champions League means we have to reduce costs or generate transfer revenues. And unfortunately, those revenues usually come from your good players and not the ones that are not performing well. If you follow soccer, you most likely know what I'm getting at. And, and how could you have missed it? Minu Raiola did about everything he could to make sure he staged his little Euro tour so everyone in the soccer universe in the most remote places of the earth knew he is going around Europe shopping Haaland. Well, to be fair, he's just doing his job and he's getting in good offers for his client by putting pressure on Real Madrid through very visibly visiting Barcelona and so on. Nevertheless, Haaland's contract runs till 2024. That clause that everybody's talking about for 2022 or the possible asking price, they have never been confirmed. I have yet to see a single source that I find trustworthy that has confirmed any of these numbers and not just reciprocated the rumor that is going around. The word that is out is that Dortmund made it very clear to Erling that they're not interested in selling. And Sorg told the media before the weekend that he actually just spoke to Rayola the day before his little tour and he made the club stance known. He literally said if Rayola and Haaland's father just wanted to catch some Mediterranean sun, that's absolutely fine by him. On the other hand, that's why you set up those credit lines and those reserves. So Borussia Dortmund is not going to be tricked into moving him or selling him under value, which drastically limits potential buyers again and therefore diminishes the chance of him actually leaving. As was the case last year with Jadon Sancho. We put a price on it, there was surely interest in the market, but nobody was willing to pay the asking price, so Jadon Sancho, as of now, is a Borussia Dortmund player. And the same thing can actually happen with Haaland. Yes, obviously, who wouldn't want to have a Haaland in his team right now? But... Who can actually pay that kind of money? And 150 million is what people say, so 175 million dollars. Barcelona, with their billion debt, I highly doubt it. I know there is a new president and he's going to have to do something to appease the fans, but I don't think he can print money. 
Now Real Madrid, where I personally think the overall fit and also the interest from the Haaland camp is there, they're also in a tricky financial situation right now because they also miss the revenues, it's corona for them, and they're building their stadium, which costs a lot of money as well. So if you look at what Real has done during the last couple of transfer windows, not a whole lot. And it's probably because the last time they splashed money out was on Eden Hazard, and that investment hasn't paid off yet. So difficult. Then you look to England, and I'm really not sure if Haaland actually wants to go to England. And there's only a handful of clubs there as well. So you have your Chelsea. I think people just throwing it around because they assume Roman Abramovich just likes to collect players and throw money around. They already spent a couple of hundred million on their front line. And Chelsea aren't world beaters right now. It's not like they're front runners for the Champions League or anything. So I don't think Haaland is just out for the money. He wants the total package. If he's going, he wants... A competitive team and the dough. Show me the money. <laughs> then you look to Manchester, and if United can't even fork over 100 million for Jaden Sancho, you know, the English born sensation, how are they gonna pay 150 million for Haaland? And City, well, Guardiola was making it seem like you're beating a dead horse, constantly pointing out that they don't have the money for it. Sorry, we're not going to buy any striker. It's impossible. It's not, we, we cannot afford it. No, no. All the clubs struggle financially. We are not an exception. That makes me a little bit suspicious, but the whole system that they already have set up, which is working very well for them, apparently they're not even needing a nine and they're letting Aguero go, for Christ's sake. So, yes, obviously they could use some fresh blood up there. And again, Haaland is a top-class player. But at the same time, is it the right fit? And even City has some limitation when it comes to spending, because if they wouldn't, they probably would have already spent half a billion dollars on Messi, you know, if they just could. But... Even for the super-rich, oil, state-funded clubs, whatever, there is some natural limits to what they can do. And the skeleton of the financial fair play still spooks around Europe as well. So it's really not as simple as all the Twitter experts out there trying to make it seem. And we forgot one more important thing. There is one more way to qualify for the Champions League. And that's by winning the damn thing. And Dortmund against all the odds. Champions. Well, for that, we are going to need a result today. A win would be great, but I personally would do with any draw. Even a one-goal defeat with an away goal would do for the day. Not a whole lot seems to favor Borussia Dortmund, and that might be our in. We have nothing to lose. These sort of high-stake games could be just what the doctor ordered for a young squad that sometimes lacks a little focus and drive. You're super motivated. You know this is a big game against one of the best teams in the world and nobody expects anything from you. The spotlight is solely on Manchester City, which means Borussia Dortmund would have to pull up a big upset. But again, who better do it against than those overwhelming favorites of Manchester City who have made tripping themselves up in the Champions League a form of art. Because despite spending 1.8 billion in transfers from 2010 to 2020, and racking up a $1.2 billion deficit in the process, City have yet to make it to the Champions League final. They made it to the semi-final only once in 2016, but they have made the quarters the last four years in a row. Borussia Dortmund in the same time made it to the final in 2013, and hey, we made it to the quarterfinals three times too. But Borussia Dortmund spent $715 million on transfers, and they made a plus of $130 million. So in the last 10 years, head-to-head, we have a final and the $130 million plus 
and City has one more quarterfinal and a $1.2 billion deficit. Well, what can possibly go wrong? But in all seriousness, the pressure is on City because they don't outspend clubs like Borussia Dortmund by a billion dollars to just have one more quarterfinal appearance to their name. We talked about this. And uh, I explained to you that there was the possibility you might have to take some kind of loss. Yeah. I think I want my money back. So maybe that pressure will get to them. And maybe Pep Guardiola will come up with one of his infamous Champions League match plans that throws their whole team out of whack and gives us an in. Because while Dortmund might be the underdog, no team gets to the quarterfinals by being bums. We obviously have the talent and we obviously have the firepower. We just need to get a little lucky. But how do they say? Hope springs eternal. I hope everybody got to enjoy the Easter weekend or the Passover, whatever you celebrate. But in addition to the traditional celebrations and hiding the eggs, every year since 2004, on Good Friday, there's a memorial run in Dortmund called the Heinrich Czerkos run to honor one of the bravest Borussen that ever lived. The run starts at the Rote Erde, the old stadium from Borussia Dortmund just next to the Westfalenstadion. It's old ground and it leads from there, 3.8 miles south, to a memorial site just outside in the city in a little meadow. There, Heinrich Czerkos and 300 others were executed and hastily buried between March and April, the Easter weekend of 1945. There's a commemorative plaque at the Rote Erde as well if you ever get there again. And I will tell you now what happened and who Heinrich Czerkos was. Heinrich, which is the German form of Henry, was born in a small fisher village in eastern Prussia, the outmost eastern part of the German Empire, which today is Lithuania. He made his way to Dortmund, like so many others from the eastern provinces of the German Empire. And in 1933, he was voted into the city council for the Communist Party. He had learned the profession of locksmith and was an ideal pick for groundkeeper at Borussia Dortmund's original first ground, the Weisse Wiese, the White Meadow. This ground was still located very close to Borussia Dortmund's origin at the Borsigplatz in the northern part of the city, which was through and through blue color in any hands of the labor movement. The Nazis also seized power across Germany and reorganized sports and leagues and clubs. They made it mandatory to install a Vereinsführer, a club leader, to emulate of principle of Nazi leadership. The Nazis pressured clubs across the country to remove any unwanted persons, such as Jews and political opposition. But Heinrich Scherko stuck around. Even when the Nazis dispossessed Borussia Dortmund in 1937 and seized their ground, the White Meadow, forcing them to abandon their home in the working class north and going to the bourgeois south of the city, where the stadium of Rote Erde, the red soil ground, was located and where the Westfalenstadion was built later on as well. Czech was continued to work as a groundkeeper in the Rote Erde. But while he was part of Borussia Dortmund, he was also part of the resistance and he actually used BVB club space and equipment to aid the cause. Now just like today in sports, Borussia Dortmund attracted people all across the political spectrum. From communists such as Czechos to people that were closer to the Nazis. BVB president August Busse, who had joined the Nazi party in 1945 in the final year of the war. However, he had actually allowed Heinrich Czerkos to use the club's press to print flyers for the resistance. Just knowing about it put Busse in great danger 
Tolerating or even enabling a resistance fighter like Cherkos could have cost him his head as well. Busse in general is an interesting and decisive figure in Borussia Dortmund history. He was born in 1890 and he joined Borussia Dortmund as a player in 1930 with his club Britannica. He also brought the black and yellow colors to the club and he was a club president from 1928 to 33 and then again from 1934 to 45. And even after 45 he was right back at ground zero and would serve Borussia Dortmund until his death in the Council of Elders. Heinrich Czerkos, however, wasn't that lucky. Despite the war being all but lost in the spring of 1945 and US Army troops literally at the doorsteps of Dortmund, the Gestapo, the brutal Nazi secret police, made a cruel last-ditch effort to round up POWs and forced laborers from neighboring countries such as Belgium, France, the Netherlands, but also Poland and the Soviet Union, union workers and resistance fighters. The Gestapo arrested people all over the city, tortured them and then led them out of the city to a bomb crater in the forest and executed them. That campaign stretched from early March to April. Heinrich Czerkos was likely rounded up in the final days. On March 30th, Good Friday in 1945, the Nazis had one of their biggest killing sprees, killing at least 43 people. Hence, this day was chosen to hold the memorial run. What makes this even more tragic is that the US Army seized Dortmund on April 13th, only days later. They began investigating the site of the murders and exhumated the victims days later. To remember the atrocities, a large monument was inaugurated on Good Friday in 1960. If you Google it, just Google Memorial Bittermark, as in bitter and mark. It's a pretty disturbing site, a big block with haggard bodies and stone surrounding it. It is the end of the run, and it's a distressing reminder to never let hate, racism, furor take hold again. Borussia Dortmund officially endorsed the run in 2012 when President Reinhard Raubel opened it. There's also a Heinrich Czerkos fan club which was founded in 2011 and they actively stand up against racism, fascist ideas and right-wing violence. In line with these efforts and Borussia Dortmund's motto, Borussia unites generations, men and women of all nations, I wanted to share this story with you of one of the many unsung heroes of the pioneer area of this club and likely one of the bravest Borussen who has ever lived. Now to end this episode on a lighter note, there's another anniversary that's a little more fun. I am talking about the infamous Torfall von Madrid, the night of the falling goal on April 1st in 1998 in the Champions League semifinals against Real Madrid. Borussia Dortmund had kicked out Bayern out of the quarterfinals on a late Chapuisat goal in the first ever All-German Champions League game and secured a meeting with Real Madrid. Minutes before the game was supposed to kick off, the Madrid Ultras they had climbed on the fencing behind the goal. While the starting 11s were already on the pitch listening to the Champions League anthem, the fans wait, brought down the fencing. Unfortunately, the goal was strung to the fence and thus, the post, they just bent back and the goal fell flat on its back. Wooden suit looked like a throwback Laurel and Hardy slapstick show. Help and clueless officials, with and without tools, scratching heads. What the hell are we gonna do now? The proud and sophisticated Real Madrid were overwhelmed by the task of putting two working goals on the soccer pitch. 
The game was scheduled live on a German major private TV station, Think CBS or NBC Sunday Night Football, and millions had already tuned in to see the Champions League semi-final. But instead, they were treated to helpless faces of UEFA and Real officials and the smug commentary of German TV greats Günther Jauch and Marcel Reif. Never before would a goal have benefited a match more, the two chuckled. And added, if you're just joining us, the first goal has already dropped. It took Madrid a whole hour and 16 minutes to find a new goal and get the game going. In today's world, this would probably have broken the internet. Back in the day, in Germany alone, 13 million people watched the unplanned intermission and Jauren Reif having a ball with goal jokes for an hour. Only 6 million stuck around to actually watch the game, which, to be fair, now started at 10 p.m. on a weeknight. Needless to say, the players were also sort of out of rhythm. Borussia had asked the UEFA to postpone the match, but the ref, who'd originally given Real Madrid 30 minutes to fix the problem, still let the game go on eventually. Dortmund lost 2-0 and after a goalless draw at home, the defending champs Borussia Dortmund bowed out of the competition. Real, on the other hand, went on to win their first Champions League in 32 years. Well, I'm gonna say we would have been the first back-to-back -back champs if it wasn't for that goal. Well, probably not, but who is judging? Well, thank you for listening to this fine episode. As always, if you enjoyed it, please let us know with a review or a rating. Drop it on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher or wherever you're listening to us. Drop us a comment on our Instagram and Twitter page. Again, it's believe and not like believing, but B-L-E-A-V in Borussia. Until next week, a black and yellow shout out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.